So let's say that you're not very self-aware. If you're self-aware, kudos to you because that's a superpower. That's amazing. That's the one commonality we saw with a lot of these folks is they're very good at self-awareness. But let's say you're not good at self-awareness. So this is where you can use us. You're like, hey, I was listening to this crazy podcast. Or I was reading this book and I feel uncomfortable asking you this, but do you mind just writing down one thing I do really well and one area where I could improve? And so just getting that subset or maybe even asking people to be on your own individual advisory board so that you have people that can give you that feedback. Don't just ask them, hey, what am I do- not doing well? They're not going to give you that answer. People feel uncomfortable. They, want, they don't want to be mean. So it's like, what do I do really well and where could I improve? It's one small step for man. Liftoff. We, have a liftoff. we choose to go to the moon, not because they are easy, but because they I are I have hard. a dream. You can't handle the truth. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super you. Welcome back to the Super You Podcast. It's the podcast designed to unlock and unleash your superpower. I'm Jake with Equal Man Studios. Today, we're reposting an episode from the Talk to Ramey podcast, featuring our host, Eric Quammen. In this interview, Eric discusses digital stamps, digital shadows, what it means to be flossom, how to reverse engineer a smile, how and when to say no, and other actionable advice that you can use to pave your way in 2023. Ramey, the host of the Talk to Ramey podcast, is a serial entrepreneur with over three decades of experience in the Austin, Texas area. Currently serves as the CEO of 3-1 Productions, Optic Tour Agency, and the Chief Marketing Officer for Atlas One. So we're going to jump right in. Please enjoy today's episode of the Super U Podcast. Thank you for another episode of Talk to Rami Show. This is Rami, your host, and today I'm so excited because I have every Coleman in the house. I've been looking for this or having this interview for so long from two years ago. And finally, Eric is here. And we are so happy, Eric, that you are here. And, you know, my listeners, I'm sure they're going to learn a lot about you and what you have done and the great work that you have done. But a little bit about Eric, I can tell you guys that He's five times best-selling author, keynote speaker, motivational speaker. His books, which is I have one of them here that he signed it for me two years ago, Socialnomics, Digital Leader, The Focus Project, How to Sell on LinkedIn, What Happens in Vegas, Stay you know, on YouTube, What Happens on Campus, Stay on YouTube, and Spartan Island. Eric also performed over 55 countries oh my god that's unbelievable and you have reached almost 50 million people brother and he has voted the second most likable author in the world behind harry potter's jk rowling and his social nomics work has been over 60 minutes to wall street journal and used by national guard and nasa Actually, his animation studio, Coleman's Animation, wrote and produced the world's most watched social media video, which is Social Media Revolution, and so many stuff about Eric. Guys, we've got to get to know Eric very well, but let's welcome Eric to the house. Eric, welcome to the show, my friend. 
No, thanks for having me. It's great to be here and great to be with all your listeners. Let me first ask you, Eric, how did you start it as an entrepreneur, as somebody that he said, I'm going to do this and this is my mission, this is my voice. How did you start it? So looking back, I never realized, oh, I have this entrepreneurial spirit within me. But looking back, you can kind of connect those dots. So when I was a kid growing up outside of Detroit, Michigan, as a youngster, this is an elementary school, I would go door to door selling tiny Dixie cups of marigold seeds. So I'd take the marigold flower, break the seeds up, and they break into hundreds of seeds. And so I think I was selling them 25 cents a cup door to door. And obviously did like a lot of kids, the lemonade stand. I'd do some lawn cutting, but I'd go door to door with those marigold seeds. And then I was a huge fan of basketball. So I even started my own magazine. This is before the internet. So in eighth grade, I had, uh, well, maybe before the public used the internet. Obviously, the internet was invented in 1968. But it was inventing a magazine called Swish Magazine. Now, when I started my career in Detroit, like a lot of folks, I worked at the automotive companies. And I fell into the digital space kind of backwards and loved it because I was an intern at Cadillac. And these new things called websites came out. And they said, hey, you're young. Why don't you figure out what a website is? And why don't you program Cadillac.com? Very easy to program back then. But then fast forwarding. I was on the business side of tech for 20 years. And then when I saw MySpace, which was bigger than Facebook at the time, I wrote a book called Socialnomics. That was my first book. Just to tell people, everyone was telling me, I talked to them, I go, you can't believe this stuff. This is going to change the world. And CEOs would tell me, what are you talking about? That's teenage stuff. I go, no, no, no. This is literally the best business tool maybe ever invented. And it's going to change the way people vote in elections. And it's going to really revolutionize the way we communicate, both good and also bad. And so I wrote Socialnomics. And then that book took off. And I kept my day job. I was um, head of marketing at TravelZoo, then the global head of all things digital at EF Education. And then then would take days off just to go speak about the book. And then eventually just dove full in to writing books, speaking. And then from there, we developed the animation studio. And then this last year, we had the board game Kitty Corn to help kids and families get off their screens during the pandemic. So that's when we invented the board game. But yeah, it's been a wild ride. But that's, that's it. It's as short as I can make it. Yeah, you know, it's, you have done so many stuff. I was reading about you and talking actually to my team and say, oh, my God, Eric has done so much, especially the way that you explain how the social media works right now and regarding to the privacy and what we have to do. Basically, you know, when I was reading your book, you know, what happens on campus, you know, stay on YouTube, and then you said privacy is dead. I, I kind of, you know, most of the people, are they agree with you. But the most important thing is, what we should do, even though we know the privacy is dead, what people should do that is still be active on social media, but they don't damage themselves for the next 10 years to come. What do you think, what do you suggest? The number one suggestion is that have common sense, and common sense isn't that common. And so a good rule of thumb is if what I'm doing right now, there's a flashlight that shines on it, or I have to tell my mom or my dad or a loved one, this is what I'm doing. And at any point you feel like, ah, I wouldn't feel too comfortable telling them what I'm doing. Then you probably shouldn't be doing it. So the biggest shift, honestly, is kind of your offline behavior. 
with this fully transparent world, with these digital stamps out there, with privacy being dead. And so net-net as a whole, it's actually good for society. Now, the problem is this is a rapid shift. So it happened overnight. So all of a sudden, we got to adjust our behaviors accordingly. And so, but the number one rule is just if you're, don't do something your mother wouldn't want you to do. To not going to watch. But, you know, and then uh, I have seen, you know, people, they have posted it. And as you know, that it came back and hunt him 10 years later. And that happened, you see, it happened to politicians, to CEOs, to, you know, ordinary people. But what kind of content or what we should not, what the content posts, but what we have to watch out, as you said, you know, post something that your mother doesn't like. But is it the social media right now? Is it that shiny object or is it social media can be a great tool for our personal brand? Yeah, it's a great question. And so we got to remind ourselves we can't go back to start a new beginning, but we can start today to make a new ending. So again, we can't go back to make a new beginning, but we can start today to make a new ending. And also understand that no one, no one out there is perfect. So it's about progress over that perfection. And also too, the example you gave is that all of us probably have something that wasn't our best self. Like we don't want to be judged by how we were when we were 18 years old, 21 years old, our prefrontal cortex hasn't been developed and we made some, all of us made silly decisions, is what you want to do is you still want to develop that personal brand because then if you have, which we all do, that instance out there, that just becomes part of your story. It's not your entire story. And so that's why you want to take a little more control of the narrative by being out there. It dilutes everything else that might be negative. And so then that's just a piece of that puzzle. It's a piece of all of our stories out there. And so it's really just starting today to continue to pursue your dreams and try to shore up as much as you can some of those things we've done in the past. And then people will understand. People are very forgiving. And when I talk about being flossom, what flossom is all about, so that's a word that I just love to embrace, being flossom is, whoops, I made a mistake. Here's what I did or I'm going to do to fix it. And then actually follow through and fix it. Yep. And, you know, this is actually goes back to people asking that, is that the digital identity that I'm creating? Basically, basically, this is what I'm thinking. Maybe I'm wrong. Basically, by building my reputation, I'm actually building my digital identity. Is that right? It is right. I like to call it something digital identity. I like to call them digital stamps, digital stamps. And so your digital stamps comprised of two things. It's comprised of your digital footprint. That's anything that you upload about yourself. Now, keep in mind, organizations and brands and companies also have a digital stamp. So that footprint's anything that you, as an individual or as an organization, upload. So you have control over that piece. But the more important piece is the actual shadow. That's what other people post about you online. And so it's that shadow, and collectively, those form our digital stamps. And our digital stamps are really a modern term for our reputations. So all this stuff is scary, but they're actually, if used right, that's why I was so excited about socialnomics, because it really can connect the world better than ever before. But there's always nefarious players and items that pop up with new technology. So it takes us a while to, to work our way through it. But when you think about your digital stamp, it's your personal, it's your reputation. 
the the great benefit of the world we live in is that now that has speed and scale. So if you're doing things well as a company or as an individual, now that word of mouth is on digital steroids. Now you've got that speed and scale that never existed before. So now whether it's an organization or whether you're a company, you can impact so many more people so much faster. And so, yes, there's some things we need to be aware of. And yes, there's some negative things that comes with this new technology. But net-net, they're positive as we work our way through kind of those kinks and those wrinkles. And this is, this is how the companies, uh, they can build that kind of digital leadership that you talk about. Like, you know, in your book that it says the digital leadership. Can you explain a little bit about that? Because I know a lot of companies and the brands, they can use that. Yeah, so digital leadership, just at its core, people might hear that term, it's really just leadership in this digital era. And when I was working with companies that wanted to quickly jump into social media, so example, I was working with um, Levi Strauss, and they have a pair of jeans that I liked. And they wanted to just start selling on social right away. And then I quickly realized they didn't have the core tenets or basics when it came to digital, which again, a short-term answer for digital leadership is just empathy. Do I care enough about your issue to resolve it? Or from an innovation standpoint, it's normally not additive, it's subtractive. How do I reduce friction? So getting back to the Levi example, I have a pair of jeans that I like. We know how hard it is to find pairs of jeans that fit, right? So when you find a pair and a couple years later, if you didn't order those jeans on Amazon, that's one of the best things that Amazon ever invented is I can go on and see what did I order and reorder it. Or even what did I order as a gift? I was getting a gift. Obviously, holiday season's coming up. I'm like, did I already give that gift to that person? <laughs> I'll be able to look on Amazon and see, oh, I already gifted them that, that gift, one of my go-to gifts. All right, I already gave them that gift. But with the Levi jean example, is I have this pair of jeans, I like them, I'd bought them maybe three years ago. I want to order another pair. So I'm going in and looking at all of, There's a couple tags in there that have numbers. I'm going to the website. I can't locate these jeans. I just want to reorder them. And so I call up customer service. They're asking me to look at numbers. They can't find anything. But within these jeans, there's all this marketing, like the history of Levi, blah, 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 all this marketing stuff. And at the end of the day, digital leadership is about removing that friction and I go, guys, we're tr you're trying to get into all this complex stuff. We're not even doing the basics. I need to reorder these jeans. Why doesn't it just say, here's how to reorder, and I can manually type it in, or here's a QR code, since you have this image of this chuck wagon in here with horses, why don't you replace it with a QR code so I can reorder these jeans? And so often people think digital leadership's complex, and it really isn't. It's about getting back to that empathy, putting yourself in the seat of that customer, getting the basics right before you start digging into blockchain and all this other stuff that can be very complex. You know, but uh, as you are ex explaining all this stuff, I, I think this all stuff that you are talking about is kind of ecosystem. It's an ecosystem of digital footprint, digital stamp, digital leadership, and privacy and everything else, which is the big fence around it. And basically what you're telling me, we have to be very cautious how we're going to build the, our social ecosystem. I, I better say that, you know, because personal brand, company brand, 
that ecosystem to build it and how it's going to function, I think is very important, not for today, for many years to come. Yeah, no, for, for many years. So this is a great exercise for your listeners out there is I always ask on stage, I go, all right, I want you to sit, think about this. I'm going to ask you a question. It has a one word answer. It all relates to your digital stamp. If someone were to Google your name right now, what's that one word you'd want to show up? What's that one word you'd want to show up five seconds from now? Five years, 50 years, 500 years, 5,000 years from today. Because we're not talking pencil, we're talking digital ink. And when you think about that, it's a great exercise to do, to have that word. And when we get into the complexity of these things, I always try to make it less complex. Because this stuff can get complex. Some of the stuff is very complex. But I want you to look at the end in mind. So for a company, no matter what you sell, and I've been in front of any type of company you could mention, small, big, the one thing they have in common is this. That end goal is better be a smile. That better be a smile on that customer's face. Client, if you're B2B, it could be a partner, it could be a teammate. If you're not creating that smile, you're not going to be in business very long. And that holds true for life as well. It's like, why am I here? How do I create that smile at the end? We kick things off. How do I make sure that I'm producing my best digital stamp, my best digital identity? Think about that smile and then work your way back. That holds true for innovation too. It's, it's very complex if you start from A to Z. Go from Z to A. How do I produce that smile for that client, that customer, that partner, family member? Work my way back. And that dictates not only your behavior, but also any initiative that you're going to do at a company. And so it's about thinking about that smile. So good example of what that looks like, because this stuff can get complex really quick. So this is a couple of years ago. We're working with Disney. Anyone that's been to Disney World or Disneyland, you're going to take a picture in front of that iconic Cinderella's castle. It's going to happen. It's right at the beginning of Magic Kingdom. Yeah, it's a great picture. We've got a, a bunch over the years. Seeing the girls grow, I looking back, I can't hold them anymore like I used to in front of that picture, in front of that castle. But they have a professional photographer there that takes those pictures, and it costs about 30 bucks for one of those photos. So they make a lot of money from that photo. Now the world shifts. Now everyone has in their pocket a very high-end camera. So the question becomes, are we going to allow patrons or people in the park, people visiting Disney to take a picture in front of that castle because it's going to get in the way of the professional photographer that's taking the same picture. They're in the best location. And so the answer in the first initiative is no, we shouldn't because one, it's going to hurt our revenue. And then two, it's going to cause chaos there. But then when you look at it, when we start to talk about it, I'm like, actually, Put yourself, we're, we're approaching this the wrong way. We're talking about this for hours. Just let's simplify this. If you were a parent visiting Disney World, what would you want to be able to do? Well, I'd want to be able to take a picture with my phone in front of Cinderella's castle. Exactly. So there's your answer. Now let's work through the complicated pieces of that because it is complex. So then the question becomes, all right, should the professional photographer, if they're asked, take a picture with your phone? Again, lawyers sitting there, no, because they can drop your phone and then we're liable for that phone. Don't do it, blah, blah, blah. 
It's like, nope, put yourself in the customer's shoes. What would they want? Well, they'd want you to have the third person, a person that's used to taking pictures, take it with their phone. And so they do that. And you'd like to say, oh, they didn't lose any revenue. No, they lose some revenue because now the person's not paying for that $30 picture. Some are because it's still a better shot. They've got it lit and it's a different camera. But they lose money. But long term, they make money because now the happiest place on earth, Disney World, became the most Instagram place on earth, the most TikTok place on earth. And so then they've got free marketing. They couldn't ask for better marketing. These people are blasting it out there. So when you get out of your own way, okay, we're going to cannibalize this piece to make sure, oh, wow, now that's the greatest marketing we could ever thought of. These people are marketing our place for free to people that we want to have come here and visit. So it was a long story, but it, it, it's complex when you think about that. The first answer was, no, we're not going to do it because we're going to lose revenue. There's liability issues. If that professional photographer is taking a picture, it's going to muck up the picture. If other people's professional pictures, if there's people in the way there, there's selfie sticks, blah, 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 down the line. But when you pause and go, let's start with the end of mind, that smile, that simplifies these difficult decisions. You know, uh, I really like what you, you what you have said because every little details that you said it counts, and uh, when we get to the problem as a human being, myself too, you know, you know, when you kind of dismiss those little things, that it creates the huge wave of sometimes we call it regret, you know, that happens. And as you said, these all little things are so important, and then actually put yourself in the other side or other shoe, you know, of the people that you are dealing with. But I have a question. This is I get a lot that don't you think that all this social media branding, you know, and all this digital media, everybody wants to be fair. Everybody wants to be under, you know, under the lens, you know, be in front of the camera. But do you think everything is start from self-awareness? Like, do you think that we should know ourselves first before even we go to the market? A personally or professionally, it doesn't matter. What is your take on that as far as self-awareness? Yeah, self-awareness. So for the Focus Project, which is my latest book, we dug into a lot of things. But one thing we saw a common pattern on was very successful people um, defining success in different ways. But people that are at the best in their field, and even if that's the best family member, we found that they're really good at self-awareness, which sometimes it's tough to teach. So it's really tricky, but you can all be learned. That's a beautiful thing. So let's say that you're not very self-aware. If you're self-aware, kudos to you, because that's a superpower. That's amazing. That's the one commonality we saw with a lot of these folks is they're very good at self-awareness and adjusting what they're good at, what they're not so great at, surrounding themselves with people that are good at the things that they're not good in, uh, shoring up a weakness, not to be a strength, but just not to be a liability. Playing to their strengths, but their liabilities or their their weaknesses, just shoring those up enough so they're not a liability. They're not a strength, but they're no longer a liability. But let's say you're not good at self-awareness. So this is where you can use us. You're like, hey, I was listening to this crazy podcast. Or I was reading this book, and I feel uncomfortable asking you this, but do you mind just writing down one thing I do really well and one area where I could improve. And so just getting that subset or maybe even asking people to be on your own individual advisory board 
so that you have people that can give you that feedback loop. And so again, don't just ask them, hey, what am I do- not doing well? They're not going to give you that answer. People feel uncomfortable. They, want, they don't want to be mean. So it's like, what do I do really well? And where could I improve? Where could I improve? Where would you say I could improve? Uh, you know, actually me, you know, I, I ask this from my team at all the time, you know, because of one of my, you know, mantra in life is that, you know, if you don't ask, you don't know. You know, therefore, you know, when I said you go, actually, we had it like last week, I said, uh, tell me what I'm not good at and what I'm good at it. And we all figured out that I am horrible to say no. Okay. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Yeah. And then I had a hard time and a struggle, to be honest with you. And everybody know, my friend, I want to help everybody and I can't. And I got to the point that I can't say no. And I had to actually learn that. And it was so painful. It was so hard for the people like me. I'm a big believer of a giver and giving is better. But you get to the point that say, I can't do it. And I don't want to say no. It was really hard. And my, I'm still working on it, getting better, you know, because you have to be very, you know, very respectful to people's time and, you know, to their requests. But that was my biggest thing. And my staff told me, they wrote it. They all wrote it down, a piece of paper. You have to learn how to say no because eventually it's going to damage us. Wow. What a gift they're giving you too by giving you that. And it's funny because from the research that we're doing, I'm a people pleaser as well. So I have a tough time saying no. And so what I was able to discern from the two years of research, and I'm looking at not only institutional research, stuff that's been happening, because we've struggled with focus for thousands of years. And there's institutional stuff that I was looking at like books, and then research, social studies, social science, and then also the street research. So I wanted to really test this stuff out real time, see what worked, what didn't. For me, everyone's different. But a couple things that have helped me. Number one, if I say yes to everything, if I say yes to everything or everyone, then I'm saying no to everyone. So essentially, I'm doing everyone a disservice, including myself. So I I know that I only have so much bandwidth. So if I say yes to everything and everyone, then I'm saying no to everything and everyone because I'm not going to do it well. So that's been a learning for me that that allows me to get that mindset of I can't, okay, I'm actually going to disservice these people or I'm at the last minute say I can't do it. So that's a huge learning for me on the saying no. The other thing is you just got to practice saying no. And so a thing that I use is if it's not a heck yes, then it's a heck no. So it better be heck yes or heck no. And what we found is that one thing that all really good, successful people did is they said no better than most of us. And they weren't better inherently DNA-wise at saying no. What they learned is to have systems and processes in place. So that one thing I just gave you is a system that I now use. If it's not a heck yes, hey, I've got two I know you're a big soccer fan, a big football fan, World Cup fan. I got two tickets to World Cup. You want to go? Heck yes. Or, hey, there's a cocktail party that might be good for business networking this Friday. You're like, eh, I should probably go. Probably be good. That's a heck no. So it's got to be a heck yes or a heck no. Yeah, and then here's a good example of what that looks like. So I'm testing this stuff out during this project, writing the book. That's why the book's called The Focus Project. It was actually a project is I volunteer at our church to kind of help the Sunday school. And I have two daughters, and I travel a lot. So I want to be in my daughter's class when I volunteer. 
And so I'd always submit, hey, I'd love to take on the girls and I can volunteer this Sunday. So sometimes I'd get the girls, but more times than not, I'd get pinged during the week. Hey, actually, we don't have enough volunteers for the boys. Anyone that has boys that are in elementary school, though, they're crazy. So that's why no one wants to volunteer for the boys because they're designed just to break stuff and get crazy. So, But the main reason I don't want to be with the boys is because I want to spend time with my daughters because I travel a lot. So when I'm at home, I want to spend as much time as I can with my daughters. So inherently before I did this project, I'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'll take the boys. Cause I'd think what kind of volunteer am I? I'm like on my terms, I'm going to reply back. No, I just want to do my volunteer with my girls. But since I was doing this book, I go, this is the time to test it out. So I say, hey, can you do the boys? So I write this really nice email. I'll keep it short for the podcast. I'm like, Hey, I love volunteering, but since I travel so much, I really want to just be with my girls class. So hopefully you can find someone else for the boys couple of days, I'm like, done. I did that. Woo. I felt uncomfortable sending it because, again, what, a, what kind of volunteer am I? <laughs> and so then I send it to him, and then I think I'm done, right? But nope. A couple of days later, hey, actually, we're really having a tough time getting a volunteer for the boys. You sure you can't do it? I'm like, oh, man, this is making me feel so bad, and I'm feeling so guilty. But since I'm doing this project, I'm going to stick to my guns, copy and paste, same email, send it back. So then this time they go, all right, we found someone to handle the boys. Now, the conclusion of the story, this is not always going to be the case. It's not always going to be rainbows and unicorns. But the lady that switched to the boys, it turns out she enjoyed that much more than teaching the girls, which she loved, but she found out she actually liked teaching the boys better. So it actually was win-win for everyone involved. That's not always going to be the case. But... It was just a great lesson that I was just like, great, man. I was so happy. I'm like with my girls. And now this stuff actually works if I have these systems and processes in place to say no and stick to saying no when I do say no. You know, I actually, I, I really love when you just mentioned system and process because all of your book, I know you, you are a big fan of the system process. Even, you know, this book that I was reading, you know, for privacy and all that stuff. I, I, I face this and I, I admit it, you know, a lot of shiny objects out there. Like I'm right now I'm in the situation that they want something from me that is very rewarding. I can do it. You know, it's a 20 hours takes my time in a week. I have to give them 20 hours. And as an entrepreneur, you know that you have all these things pops out, especially with the level that you are or I'm in. And, you know, they're all asking this. But. If you don't have the process, I think I think that's what I'm thinking, that my problem was I didn't have that process or the system, then you are really running around and you don't know what to say and how even how to say it. Like me, I had this problem last week. I'm mean, still dealing with it. And I told myself, guys, we got to have a process. We got to have a process. Everything is coming toward us. I, I can't do it. You know, what should... It's really very hard, and this is for the listeners out there, and I'm sure you know, I can ask you this for the more guidance, that what we should do, how we should create that goddamn process that, <laughs> that kind of prevent us or help us to say that no, like you said, okay, this is my process, it's not working, and I, I, I want to say, hell no. What is that, pro how that process works? Like, I, I can help. I, I can get help from you. <laughs> no, I mean, so you want to, first of all, a lot of the solicitations are going to come in via email. 
And so you want to have that kind of copy and paste and adjust it to tailor it for them. But 90% is going to be the same. When that heck no or hell no comes in, then that's a copy and paste. So mine, certain times of the season, might look like this. Hey, I really appreciate opportunity. This is an incredible opportunity, but it's going to be for someone else because right now I'm heads down on writing and finishing my book and have to get it to my publisher. Or it could be some some parts of the year it might be same thing at the beginning. It's like, sorry, I'm just traveling like crazy, speaking from blah, blah, blah. So I wouldn't do you any service by doing this. Now the key is part of the reason you have that process or that structure, that copy and paste email response is the best response for that person's always a yes. But the second best response is a quick no. You don't want that long no. And so the more you let that germinate, it actually hurts you and the recipient. Because you've been in that spot. You've asked someone, hey, can you come on the podcast? Or hey, can you come speak at this event? Or whatever it is. Can you volunteer to help us at this thing? And you're kind of holding out. Hey, they haven't said no. So they might say, yeah, it's been five days. I'll ping them again. And that longer no is worse. Just like in sales. If you're a salesperson, you'd rather get that quick no to move on to the next opportunity to continue to have that person in the pipeline for a long no. Because that's chewing up your mental capacity and it's chewing up actually time sometimes because you're still trying to sell that person. So again, the recipient actually benefits. Obviously, the preferred response is a quick yes, but the second best response is actually a quick no. That's amazing. And I'm going to practice that. And I want to start it today and actually write up that email and, you know, and just, you know, fill up the blank and then say, it, okay, it's no, because personally, it's going to help me a lot because, uh, you know, my, you know, my, my show and my, my business, actually, we do digital marketing is growing and we get clients that we can't really serve. We do it, you know, because we don't have time for that kind of skill. And then we have to learn, all of us in the company, we have to learn how to say no in a respectful way. And I'm sure a lot of people out there, they have this problem, but that focus project, when is it going to be done? It's done. It's out. It's out and about. It hit the yeah, hit the number one bestseller on Amazon, which is great. Cause yeah, it was good. I mean, but to kind of circle back on that story about saying no as well with the church example I gave her, the volunteering example, is a lot of us that are people pleasers, I did this for many years, is to soften to soften the blow, I'd often put uh not this week, but maybe maybe next week. Or not right now. And then they're thinking, okay, in three months. And so don't soften the blow. Don't put the timeline, maybe not now, later, because you're not going to have more time later. You're not going to look forward to that later. It's not going to change. They're not going to forget. Everyone makes the mistake, me included, that, oh, I've got all this time in the future. You have the same amount of limited time in the future. So don't do that. Don't soften it with a line about time that may be in the future. I mean, if it's true that you kind of do want to do it in the future, by all means, do that. But if it was a heck no or a hell no, then don't soften it with that because they will come back. And, and this is, I think this is, we can apply it to anything as far as a personal relationship, from dating, from business, from, you know, invitation to anything. I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, great, that's a great rule. But I'm going to change the, you know, shift the gear a little bit here. I, I, I know you, you felt before. And many things, as I did, and anybody say that I haven't failed, you know, is, you know, but how you deal with the failure, because this is what I get questioned a lot. Everybody, you know, failed and how you get back up and 
how was that for you? The way I deal with failure is I'm like, oh, great. I'm going to learn from this. And so at first, that's not always the case. But as you do it long enough, you realize when you listen to enough podcasts, when you interview enough people that are successful, there's no such thing as an overnight success. So you can see the behind the scenes of how much failure they went through. So you're not alone. First of all, you're not alone. And you go, oh, man, this stinks. I'll be interested to see what I learned from this. So it's more of a scientific approach to life. Like, oh, interesting. And it's also just having that growth mindset of, all right, I've learned how not to do it. So then, and obviously overused examples are like Edison, thousand times, he, he learned a thousand ways not to make the light bulb, right? So that's his mindset. Okay, 873, okay, this is the 873 way that's not gonna make the light bulb. All right, so let's keep going. So it's really about understanding that looking back, things happen for you, not to you. So you've just got to have that confidence that, hey, I don't know why this is happening to me. This really stinks right now. But looking back, hey, this is going to happen for me and not to me. That's amazing. And, you know, uh, this is for the entrepreneurs out there that, you know, I want to see what you think that a lot of entrepreneurs that I, you know, that came across, you know, me and, you know, we talk, they just started it and they want to go out there. They're going to make a brand of themselves. They're going to be, have that digital, you know, stamp, digital footprint. What you suggest or what do you advise for these people? They are fresh. They want to start it right. What do you advise or what is your advice for these people to start their digital leadership, digital brand. Yeah. For your digital brand, I mean, start with that exercise I just did, which is what's the one word you want people when they Google your name, what's that one word you want to show up? What's that one word you want to show up? Not only five seconds now, but 500 years from today. Once you have that word and you've thought about it a lot, so you get that word. Most of the time it, it's thin slicing for that thing. It'll pop in your head. The second part's going to take a little longer because Mark Twain once said, I didn't have time to write you a, a short note, so I wrote you a long one. So this is literally a sentence, but we know that writing things, as Mark Twain said, small and tight, concise, a lot harder than writing a very verbose or very long email. So the next exercise, take your word, and I want you to put it into a sentence. And the framework for that sentence is to blank, so that blank. So to blank, so that blank. So my words empower. So a lot of people out there listening, you might have the same word. Our sentences will be different. But when I put in that sentence, it's to empower people to their best life so that, what's the, what's the result? Who cares? To empower people to their best life. So that, so what? So to empower people to their best life so that they can inspire others to do the same. So as you think about your digital identity, your digital stamp, which again is your reputation, start with what's the one word you want to find out on Google and then write that sentence, two blanks, so the blank. Wow, that's amazing. Eric, thank you so much, my friend, for being here. I really, really appreciate, gratefully appreciate that. Finally, we got a chance to talk to each other. Learn so much about you. I'm still learning. We're still reading the books because every person that we, I have a podcast with, they are authors. My staff, they're required to read the books. 
Oh, I love it. I love the feedback. That self-awareness. Let me know. And I'll make you tell you what you love and what you say. Ah, that could be a little better. Absolutely. Because I am a big fan of we all have opportunities to learn and so much around us that we can learn from and makes us a better human. And that's my mission to tell all these stories of yours and unheard stories to the people that we all can learn from one another. But thank you so much, my friend. I look forward for, you know, many years to come and hopefully we chat soon. I love it. Keep having fun and keep helping people. That's the key to life. I love it. Thank you so much, Eddie. You have a wonderful day, my friend. Have a great one. So thanks again for listening to today's Super You podcast. Again, it's a podcast designed to unlock and unleash your inner superpower. And if you want to pay it forward, make sure you go post a review for the Super You podcast because what that will do, it'll allow others that aren't familiar with our podcast to discover it. And hopefully that allows them to unlock and unleash their inner superpower. So that's it for today's show. I'm your host, Equal Man, reminding all of us, it's not what we take from the world, it is what we leave behind. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Super, 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 super you. 